You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Dragon's Realm, Episode 1, with Eric Wilson. I want to share something tonight that is very important for the Christian world to know. What we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be revealing is the dangers, the spiritual dangers of Eastern mysticism. And that includes martial arts, karate, taekwondo, tai chi, yoga, qigong, acupuncture, acupressure, all of that. But we want to show why this is being brought into the Christian church. We know it's in the world, but now we're seeing it in all denominations being brought into the Christian church. And Christians need to understand the reason, the purpose behind this. I want to read a few verses, and I'm going to read this from the King James Version Bible. Our first verse is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the day of Christ's return except there come a falling away first, an apostasy, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, or the son of destruction, or the son of the destroyer, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 24. This is that sermon where Jesus was speaking to His disciples. And He was warning them of the destruction of Jerusalem, as well as warning them of the signs that were going to come at the end of the world. He tells us, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ. Yea, many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. When we look at the word Christ, in the Greek, there's two definitions. The anointed one and the anointing, or the anointed. Do you understand? Christ was the anointed. What was He anointed as? There's only two people in the Scripture that were anointed. One was the priest. You were anointed to be a priest. You were also anointed to be king. And Christ Jesus is both king and our great high priest. There's only one other person in Scripture that's mentioned that could be both priest and king at the same time, and that was Melchizedek. Nowadays, we have another man on the earth that claims to be both priest and king. And his home is in Rome. I'm going to read a statement here from an author, a Christian author, right out of the Protestant Reformation. Listen to these words. The period of Christ's personal ministry among men was the time of greatest activity for the forces of the kingdom of darkness. For ages, Satan with his evil angels had been seeking to control the bodies and the souls of men. I want you to look at that statement for a minute. For ages, Satan was seeking, how can I get inside their bodies and control their hearts, their minds, as well as their bodies? This was something that he he wasn't able to do in the beginning. Satan now summoned all his forces, and at every step he contested the work of Christ. What was the work of Jesus? If we look in the Gospels, what was the work of Jesus? He tells us in Luke chapter 4, I came to set the captives free, to proclaim deliverance to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to make the lame to walk to make the deaf to hear, to heal the broken hearted. That was Christ's work. 
It says Satan contested the work of Christ. So it will be in the great final conflict of the controversy between righteousness and sin. While new life and light and power are descending from on high upon the disciples of Christ, a new life is springing up from beneath and energizing, pay close attention to these words, energizing the agencies of Satan. Intensity is taking possession of every earthly element. We see that in the news now. We see it in Hollywood films. I can remember when I was growing up, there were some things that you just did not put on the TV screen. And now they're showing anything they want on regular television, not including what they're putting at the theater. Intensity is taking possession. The Bible says the devil knows he hath but a short time. And his goal today is the same as what it was when Christ was here the first time, to control the bodies and the souls of men. With a subtlety gained through centuries of conflict, the prince of evil works under a disguise. He appears clothed as an angel of light, and multitudes are giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The warnings of the Word of God regarding the perils surrounding the Christian church belong to us today. As in the days of the apostles, men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the Scriptures. Why do you think so many people now will go to a university or will go to a college and they come out and they don't have faith in God anymore? Universities and college are a good thing to get education, but you have to make sure that you're grounded. I have a good friend of mine that went to seminary to train to be a pastor. After two years, he came out and he didn't even, he didn't even believe the Bible anymore. It had become so twisted in his mind by higher criticism, by evolution, spiritualism, theosophy, and pantheism. The enemy of righteousness is seeking to lead souls into forbidden paths. I'm going to go back and look at those statements. Through higher criticism, that's when men will go and learn to be a pastor. They'll go to a theology school or where they'll go to um, a university and they will tell you how to interpret God's Word. They will tell you this is what it really means, even though this is clear what it says. I'll give you an example. Years ago, I had a pastor um, that said something that really bothered me. It, it, it it startled me. There's a verse in the Bible where Jesus said, if you've got the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And what will happen? It will be done. And I had a pastor. I had other people that told me the same thing. It doesn't really mean that. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute now. When I'm reading to my son and my daughter and I'm reading God's Word, can I tell them that He literally means what He really wrote? Or do I have to tell them, I know it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. Because then they're going to grow up not knowing that this means anything. To many, the Bible is as a lamp without oil because they have turned their minds into channels of speculative belief, doubt, that bring misunderstanding and confusion. The work of higher criticism is destroying faith in the Bible as a divine revelation. It is robbing God's Word of power. When Jesus was in the synagogues and He preached, the people said, after the church service was over, they were whispering and they said, He doesn't preach like other men. His Word is with power. It doesn't mean He was doing magic. It means He believed what He was saying. Have you ever spoken to someone and they had faith in what they were telling you? There's a difference between a salesman that's just reading you a line that he was uh, taught and a salesman that owns that product and he believes in it. Do you understand? God is serious about His Word. He means what He says. And when Christ spoke God's Word, He had absolute faith. It is robbing God's Word of power to control, to uplift, and to inspire human lives. By spiritualism... And I'm going to put in parentheses there also spiritism. And we'll get into the difference between the two later. Multitudes are taught to believe that desire is the highest law. 
What Aleister Crowley said was, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Whatever makes you feel good, just do it. It's okay. Desire is the greatest law, and that license is liberty, and that man is accountable only to himself. With that being said, I want to show you the dangers of stepping onto this path of Eastern mysticism. And I want to show you some of the ways that we got there. To begin with, martial arts was not known in this country. It was not known in this country until after World War II. During the late 1940s and early 1950s, many of our soldiers or men of war, many of them God-fearing men, when they were in Okinawa, when they were in the Japanese area of the war, when they came back, they brought those arts with them. Because the Japanese and the Okinawans typically are, are much shorter, uh, much thinner, smaller built than what the Americans are. So these American GIs were going over there and they would see these little men, some of them, you know, four foot nine, four foot eight, five foot one, five foot two. They would see these men throwing six foot, six foot five men as though they were nothing. And it intrigued them. They were fascinated by the power that these little masters had. And they brought that back to the States. Within 10 years, we had the Beatles. Many people don't realize this, but the Beatles became involved with a man named Maharishi Yogi. Um, they went to him for spiritual guidance. He was a Hindu guru, a yoga guru. And as they were training with him, much of his spiritual influence of the Hindu religion influenced their songs. And those songs went out to an entire generation. Many of you will remember uh, a song that they sang called Krishna, Lord Krishna, My Sweet Lord. If you ever go back and, and turn that music on and you look at the words of what they were actually saying, it wasn't talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were talking about, quote, the Lord Krishna, the Hindu deity. Now we come to today. This has progressed. During the 1960s, 1970s, we had the hippie movement, um, the revolution here in the United States. Morality went out the door. Everybody was doing what they will. It's almost like the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then in the late 1970s, we had a film that was released called Star Wars. How many of you have seen it? I'm not taking names. I can remember that film. That was one of the first films I had ever seen because my parents didn't take me to theater. But my dad, um, he, was, he was stepping a little bit away from the Lord and he said, we'll compromise. This isn't a big deal. This is a science fiction movie. And we went to see this movie. And in the movie Star Wars, which has had six films in the series so far, do you know what the number one thing that intrigued everybody was? It was something called the Force. And they actually said that in every one of the films. They would greet one another, the Jedi Knights or, or men and women. They would say, may the Force be with you. That's a counterfeit of may God bless and keep you. That's a counterfeit of the Word of God. And we didn't even, we didn't even ask, what is this Force that they're talking about? Come down to today. Kung Fu Panda. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I want to show you some of these pictures because many parents, many parents have these videos, these books in their house. Their children have them in their rooms and they don't know what they're about. They don't take time to look or read what their children are reading or watch before their children watch. Chronicles of Narnia, a book by C.S. Lewis. Most Christians read C.S. Lewis's writings. He is, uh, he's sold in all the Christian bookstores. Most people look at him and they say, he's a devout Christian. What they don't understand, C.S. Lewis was trying to merge mystical teachings of some of the occult organizations he was a member of with Christianity. He was trying to blend light and darkness. One of his good friends, J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, this man also 
was a member of some of the same occult organizations that C.S. Lewis was. And he too took the occult philosophies and tried to blend and merge them with Christianity. I can remember when I first came back to the Lord, I, I put one of these films in front of my children. They were both young and I was like, Guys, now look at this one scene. If you can picture this, this looks so much like what the Bible is talking about. It showed this man on a white horse riding against these armies of hell. I didn't realize that the man on the white horse um, is a devout homosexual. Um, I didn't realize that as a wizard in that film, he opposes everything that the Word of God says. The new movie, The Hobbit, that was just released. That is the hero. What does the Bible have to say about wizards and witchcraft? Often what we do is we say, it doesn't matter. It's just pretend. It's just pretend. It doesn't matter if we watch it. I want to tell you something. It does matter. And the reason why is, is as we behold that, we are changed. As we watch men and women practicing all these mystical and magical abilities it becomes not a sin to us anymore. We become so used to seeing it that it doesn't bother us. Anime. I wasn't even familiar with anime until about 12 years ago. I was teaching martial arts. I had a lot of uh, high school, college-age students, and many of them would come in and they were intrigued. They were just uh, overwhelmed by this anime. It's a Japanese form of cartoon or of animation. Almost, without fail, every single anime, almost, is based on Eastern religions. They have demons, they have witches, they have sorcery, they have magic, and they have a high degree of sensuality and unrighteousness. Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, I know you all are familiar with that. Don't allow these things into your, your child's life. My wife is a school teacher in fourth grade, and... I can't tell you how many times the, the children want to bring this in to read for their reading projects. And my wife, even though she's a teacher in a public school system, she upholds the Lord Jesus Christ in her classroom. And she tells them, I'm sorry, if your parents have a problem, ask them to come talk to me. That's not appropriate reading. You do not want to allow that, that little boy on the front who also in the latest release of his movie turns out to be homosexual. Um... It's, it's bringing witchcraft and sorcery into our lives. How many of you heard of this film and this book, Twilight? It's a, a movie or a book that was written about vampires. But what amazes me is, look at the cover. What is the woman holding out for those that buy the book to take? An apple. That's not just a coincidence. Just as Eve held out that apple to her husband, Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God really said? Now I'm supplying the word really, but it's there. If you hear what he's saying to Eve, he looks at her and says, Are you sure that's what he meant? God, you're not going to surely die. Do you understand he's saying the same thing to each of us today? Are you sure that's what God really meant? Is God that particular? Is God that holy? That same question is being asked within churches now. Everything that Eastern mysticism is introducing to Christians and to the Christian church is based on that one principle, hath God really said. Everything in Eastern mysticism causes you to question. I want to stop here for a moment. I want to say a word of prayer with you before we go any farther. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And You have given unto Him all power in heaven and on earth. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for what he has done for us. We ask you, Father, tonight, open our blind eyes that we might see your glory and know your love. Open our deaf ears, Father, that we might hear your voice saying, This is the way, my son, my daughter, walk ye in it. We ask for your angels to be here, Father. Bind and cast out all the forces of darkness. And Father, we thank you for doing this because you have promised and you cannot lie. In Jesus' name, amen. My goal tonight, my goal tonight is not to just share the bad stuff with you. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I I was doing research into all the bad stuff to find out what's bad. I mean, the Illuminati and the New World Order and witchcraft and whatever darkness was there, I was like, I don't want to be deceived, so I need to understand this. That's important. But something that the Lord revealed to me a few years ago, what was it that Christ came to win when He came to this earth? Was it our head or was it our heart? In Proverbs, the Lord tells us, My son, give me your heart. Do you understand? Because head knowledge is good, but it does no good unless the heart is with it. My purpose, my my greatest desire tonight is that what we share will reach your heart. That you'll see something about God, about Christ, and about His Word that maybe you haven't thought about before. When we look at the Eastern mysticism in martial arts, I started in martial arts when I was 14 years old. My parents had been separated and divorced. Um, I was very overwhelmed. But being a 14-year-old boy, you can't show that you're scared. You have to show that you're a man. You've got to be tough. So you put on this shell on the outside of, you know, nobody's going to stop me. Nothing bothers me. And that's how, I, that's how I lived for most of the next 20 years of my life. I wanted to go somewhere where I could find a source of power. Because as a 14-year-old child, when my parents were divorced, my world crumbled. I mean, my world crumbled. I cried when I was by myself, but nobody else saw that, not even my mom. I had to find something that gave me control over my life. Something that gave me assurance and confidence. And I had seen advertisements for martial arts. And I thought, those guys aren't afraid of anything. They're not afraid of anything. And I decided that's what I want to do. So I got involved in a martial arts school. And I won't go into the whole story. We give all of that on the film from Little Light Studios. But... This martial arts school was a Christian school, quote, unquote. I have no doubt about the people that were there. I have no doubt that they really loved the Lord. But they weren't following Him. They weren't obeying what His Word said. The martial arts teaches you that when somebody strikes you, you block and you counter. God's Word doesn't say that. God's Word says when somebody comes up and strikes me on the right cheek, I'm supposed to turn to Him the other. Now, that's where Christian leaders now are saying, yes, but it doesn't really mean that. It does mean that. It does mean that. There are a number of things in particular that troubled me about martial arts. And little red flags would go up in my mind. Because being raised a Christian, those seeds of truth have been planted in my heart. Most martial arts schools that you go into today, world over, when you step into the dojo or when you step into the training ground... They'll tell you, take your shoes off. You can't wear shoes in the school. There's some schools that have changed, but most of them, the traditional schools, you have to remove the shoes. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, why are we taking our shoes? I'm not going to kick you with my foot with no shoe on. I mean, that's got to hurt. Why am I taking my shoes off? It wasn't until 25 years later when the Lord was bringing me out of the martial arts that I understood The spirits that are in that school, the spirits that are in that sensei or that sifu, that instructor, the spirits that are influencing the instructors, they want your worship. 
They want you to take your, your shoes off. So when a demon who's in that school or a fallen angel that's in that school, when a Christian walks in there and they see you walk in, they know you're a Christian. And then they see you take your shoes off. That's in reverence to them. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. The Lord said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Many of the schools I trained in, especially the Aikido schools, they don't just you know, bow, they on their knees and they put their face against the floor. And they do that in homage to the instructor, to the sensei, or to the shihan, to the master, to the grandmaster. And they do that in honor of the pictures of those grandmasters and masters on the wall behind and the founders. Most Christians do not realize what they're doing. Most people that are there don't realize what they're doing. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, His servants you are to whom you choose to obey. Do you understand? If God's Word says one thing, and your boss, your school, your martial arts instructor says another... Right there, you've got a conflict. And the Lord is saying, choose ye this day. Whom are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God and obey Him? Or are you going to serve this man or this woman? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. And as we're going through this program, I'm going to use the Hebrew words occasionally for God and for His Son. And the reason I do that is not because it's a salvational issue but there's a meaning behind the name. There's a meaning there in the Hebrew that we don't necessarily get when we, when we read the King James or the English. And also, when I was coming out of the martial arts, many of the people that I knew were Buddhist. I would ask them if they believed in God, and they would say, yes, I believe in God. Or I would say, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. They didn't have faith in Him. They didn't believe He was the only begotten Son of God. But if I asked them, do you believe in Jehovah? Do you believe in Yahweh? They would not answer yes to that. If I said God or Lord, they were fine with that. But if I said their proper names, they did not want to accept that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. And God, Elohim, the Mighty One, spake all these words, saying, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, thy Elohim, am a jealous God. A lot of times growing up, I thought of jealous. It means, why is God jealous? And I've had New Agers tell me, why do you want to worship some God that's jealous? I mean, isn't that kind of petty to be jealous? What has He got to be jealous over? And then one day the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm jealous over you as a husband is over his wife. I'm jealous over you as a father is over his children or a mother over her children. I want my father to be jealous over me and jealous for my affections. Another question that was always brought up in the martial arts. If you go to a Japanese or an Okinawan school, the instructor is called a sensei. Normally that's someone that has achieved at least first dan or first degree black belt. But not necessarily. A sensei is an instructor, not just a black belt. If it's a Chinese school, they call them sifu. Some people say saifu, but it's sifu. It means master or a master teacher. But Jesus tells us something in Matthew 23, verse 8 through 20. Be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and ye are all brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. There's three words there. Rabbi, tell me who it is that calls their instructors or their teachers rabbi. Orthodox Judaism and many of the Messianic Jews that don't know any better. They're told that that word means uh, a teacher. But there's an amount of respect that goes with that that's due only to Christ and to our Father. Call no man father upon the earth. Now we know there's a, the church in Rome 
That's what the priests are called, Father. And then with the martial arts we see, call no man master. We see here a union of Eastern mysticism, of Rome, and of Orthodox Christianity. In the martial arts, the place that you train is called a dojo. It's dojo in Japanese. Or in Chinese, it's daojang. The word actually has a meaning though. When you look this word up, the word dojo means a place of the way. The word way is Tao. Taoism, it means the way. That's who they claim is God. So when somebody says they're a Taoist, they say, I'm worshiping the true God. To say that I'm a follower of the way or a follower of the Tao, that's who they call God. The Tao Jang in Chinese means a place of enlightenment. So when people step into a martial arts school, when you realize what that school is called, you're there for a different reason besides just learning self-defense. Professing themselves wise, they became fools. For how can two walk together except they be agreed? When we talk about self-defense for a moment, many people will say they want to put their children in, uh, in karate or something because they want them to be able to defend themselves. Many women will go to take self-defense classes at a, a martial arts school or a dojo. Many men will go because they want to know how to defend themselves. One thing that I know after 24 and a half years, almost 25 years of teaching and training in the martial arts, martial arts is not about self-defense. The word defense means to defend. If somebody is trying to hurt you, the easiest and the most effective defense is to run. It's to run, period. How much money does it cost you to train that type of defense? Nothing. You can go out your front door every morning and you can practice. Do you know what stops men and women and children from doing that instead of martial arts? Pride. I don't want to run because then I'm not a man. I'll give you another example. All the years of training, especially, let's just take a woman for example. Let's say we've got a 110-pound, 130-pound woman, and she comes in for self-defense training. And we train her two hours a class, twice a week, for six months. It costs approximately $50 to $80 a month to take training. $50 to $80 a month for six months. For $20, you can go to Walmart or to Kmart or to some sporting goods store and you can buy a can of pepper spray. It takes no practice. It costs $20 and there's no spiritual attachment. Martial arts is not about self-defense because the moment that you defend in martial arts, if an opponent is swinging a punch at me in martial arts, I block. And the moment I block and his arm hits my arm... I counter. Now it's not defense, it's offense. And martial arts teaches you, you meet aggression with greater aggression. It's the only way to win. It's the only way to win. They block and they counter. And the counter is designed to eliminate the opponent. When we're in the martial arts... And we're learning things that are opposite from the Word of God. And we're practicing doing things that are opposite from the Word of God. God's Word says don't bow. And yet I'm bowing every time I walk into the dojo. I'm bowing every time my sifu or my sensei comes before me. I'm bowing to my opponent before a, a match. God's Word says don't take your shoes off for another God. And every time I step into that place of enlightenment, I'm taking my shoes off in opposition to the Word of the living God. God's Word says, don't call anyone else Master. And yet every time I call Him Sifu or Sensei, I'm verily calling Him Master. Each time that I compromise, each time that I compromise the Word of God, my feet go a little bit farther off the path. God has told us, this is the way, this is the way, the way. Walk ye in it. Jesus Christ said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. 
each time I compromise with God's Word, whether it be in diet or in dress or in music or in what I set before my eyes or in my thoughts or in my obedience to an instructor, I'm stepping farther out from underneath of the covering of my Father, out from underneath the protection of my Father. I'm going to give you a little bit of what happened because of me taking these gradual steps, this creeping compromise in my own life. After many years in the martial arts of compromising, I began to listen to the voice of the serpent instead of listening to the voice of my Father in heaven. I became frustrated in my marriage. My family was at the martial arts school. I went to the martial arts school and I taught at 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't get home tonight at nighttime until 11 o'clock. Where was my family? Where was my wife and my children? Sometimes my wife and children, she'd bring them up there, but I was busy. I had other things to do. You know, this is work, honey. You know, I, I can't talk right now. I'm at work. After many years of doing that, in 2003... I became so frustrated, couldn't understand why our home and our marriage was struggling, didn't know how to fix it. And after six months of of begging God to fix this problem, I gave up. I gave up. I did exactly what the martial arts tells me. Do what you will. That shall be the whole of the law. Even though God's Word says don't be divorced. Do not put away your wife. I didn't listen We went through a separation and a divorce. We were separated and divorced almost five years. And the entire time that I was gone, I was seeing somebody else, had another life, I thought. Um, As long as I was busy during the day teaching the martial arts and, and keeping myself occupied, at nighttime I would come home and I'd put movies in. I would put just any kind of movie, just something to keep me from having to think. Some people turn to alcohol, some people to drugs, some people to the internet, some people to video games. Whatever it is, it's just something to numb the pain. And when I would shut the television off at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, and I'd go in there and lay in my bed alone, and I'd look up at the ceiling, it was empty. It was empty. And I knew not how to find my way back. The Bible tells us a house divided cannot stand. I was trying to serve God, going to church every Sabbath, and yet I was also serving Satan by the practice of these arts. That house cannot stand. The Lord asked me a question. In Jeremiah 13, verse 20, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the flock that was given thee? Thy beautiful flock. Those were my children the year that I left. My son was three years old and my daughter was six. And I got to be careful. I don't want to tell too much of what we have on the film because you can see the whole story there. But I do want to reveal something to you. In this series that we're going to be doing for the next two nights, I'm going to show you the miracle that the Lord did. How He brought my wife and I back together as one. I remember the whole time that I was dating this other woman and you know, thought I was free. And my wife would come over to my apartment and she'd knock on the door and I'd be inside and I would think, and these were thoughts that were going through my head. What in the world? Why is she here again? I mean, we're divorced. Why does she keep coming back? And I'd come to the door And she'd be gone. She'd be walking back down to the car. And she'd left a little note on the door. God still loves you. He has not given up on you. God still loves you. And I would get so angry. I would become furious. I would would tear that card or that note, whatever she left, tear it up and run and throw it in the trash. I hated it. I didn't understand why. I didn't realize that by me yielding to Satan's voice, I had opened the door of my life for those spirits to come in and to influence me. We are living in a a spiritual war. 
when I was fighting to get free, when I was fighting to get free, I didn't know how to fight. I hadn't been taught in church. How do you fight spiritually? No one had told me before that many of the thoughts that I had weren't my own thoughts. I mean, you, you think it's, it's my mind, it's my brain. Nobody can get in there. Yes, they can. The devil can whisper in your ear. And if you yield long enough, he can actually come inside. And when he comes inside, it gets to the point where you can't tell the difference between your own thoughts and his thoughts. And what had happened in my life, even though I was successful, I was teaching lots of students. I, I probably had 75 or 100 students at my school that I taught every day. Um, I knew what was going on inside. I knew the battle that was going on inside. And that battle wasn't just the martial arts. That battle can be anything. So when I'm sharing this, whatever the struggle is that you're struggling with, if it be with marriage problems, if it be with rejection, if you're bitter over somebody that hurt you, if it be a relative that rejected you, a father or a mother, if it's lust, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's pornography, it doesn't matter what it is, the answer is the same. The answer is the same. And I can tell you from experience, God will deliver. The Scriptures tell us something. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Growing up in a Christian home, do you know what that verse meant to me? Confession. If you confess your sins, God's faithful and just, He'll forgive you. That's not what that word means. When you look the word up in Greek, the word confession is to profess or to speak out loud. So when the devil tells me, you're a failure, God's word says, I'm not a failure. I'm a son of the Most High God. When the devil tells me, you're sick, you have diabetes, God's word says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that your soul knoweth right well. When the devil tells me, you'll never get better, there's nothing that can heal you. God's Word says, By my stripes you were healed. I'm faced with a choice. Which one do I believe? When, when the devil comes to me, and many of you that are married will be familiar with this, when you walk home and you've had a bad day and your spouse is there at the house and they've had a bad day and I would come home didn't know that my wife had been struggling with the children all day. Didn't know that something had burned and, and she had burned her shirt with the iron and everything had went wrong. I didn't know all that. I came home, I'd had a bad day. I just wanted to vent and wanted somebody to hear me. And she was waiting for me to get home so she could vent. And right there, the enemy would whisper in her ear and whisper in my ear. And sometimes my wife would say something and the devil would come between us and misinterpret in my mind what she said. Have you ever heard that before? You'd say, why did you say that? And they say, I didn't say that. And you go, yes, you did. I heard you. Did you know that Satan can actually come in between you as an interpreter and misinterpret your words? When the devil is there, when he is attacking you, you have to stand on God's Word. The way that Christ overcame sin is the way we overcome sin, by the Word of God. When the devil says you can't do it, God's Word says all things are possible. All things are possible to him that believeth. I want to encourage you tonight and through the rest of this meeting over the next couple of days to take hold of God's Word and take it literally. Learn how to believe what He says. When I was 14 years old, I woke up one morning for school my mom and dad were separated and divorced, and I was burning up. I mean, I was burning up. I felt like I was on fire inside. And I, I yelled for my mom, and she came in the room. She's a nurse. And um, she came in, and she felt of me, and she said, Eric, you're hot. I said, Mom, something's wrong. I hadn't told her that for eight months before that, my vision was going. I'd be sitting in the classroom at school, and I couldn't read what was on the chalkboard. I mean, from here to the chalkboard, I couldn't read it. And I'd scoot up a little bit closer to the front, and my vision kept getting worse. Had to go to the bathroom sometimes almost every 10 or 12 minutes. I didn't tell my mom that because, you know, you're 14 years old. Nothing's wrong. I mean, this will go away. Who knows? Maybe I ate something weird. 
My mom rushed me to the, the hospital. They checked my blood sugar. It was 790. And I passed out on the scale. And the doctor came to me after they had woken me up and, and given me insulin. And the doctor was a great doctor. And he didn't mean to, but he pronounced, he spoke a word unknowingly over me. He said, Eric, I'm sorry, you are a diabetic. Now, I look back now and I think, wait a minute, if I had gotten cancer, would they have called me a cancer? I mean, you are a cancer. I'd be like, no, I've got cancer, but we're going to fight it and we're going to win this battle, right? They don't call you a cancer if you have cancer. But for some diseases, they name you the disease. Do you know what that does to a 14-year-old child or to an 80-year-old woman? Don't claim it. I'm 45 years old, almost 46 now. And a few years ago, when the Lord began revealing to me the power of His Word, I had an old, an old gentleman that spoke to me one day on the phone. He told me something I'll never forget. He said, Eric, he said, when you pray, he said, do you speak out loud or do you pray in your head? I said, I pray in my head. He said, why? I thought, well, that's a weird question. Doesn't everybody pray in their head? He said, why do you pray in your head? I said, I don't want the devil to hear me. He said, do you think the devil is more strong than the one you're praying to? Who cares if the devil hears you? And I thought, I never thought about that. He said, when you read your Bible, do you read it out loud or do you read it in your head? I said, I'll read it in my head. He said, I want to encourage you to try something. He said, start reading the promises out loud. And I said, why? He said, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to hear it and you've got to speak it. Because with your heart, you believe unto righteousness. And with your mouth, profession is made unto salvation. The scripture says that Christ Jesus is the high priest of your profession. So when I go to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is set down at the right hand of His Father, and the Father says, one of our children is hollering for us, and Jesus says, yes, I know, Father. What is He telling the Father that I'm saying? If I'm professing, Lord, I'm sick, I'm sorry, I'm never going to get better. But what if I go to Him and I profess what His Word says? Psalms 107 verse 20 says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits and reward. For it is He who forgives all your iniquities, and it is He who heals all your diseases. Wow! There's no fine print when you read that. And one day I was going through the Gospels and, and the Lord just impressed me. He said, write down every time you see my son do a miracle. Every time he heals somebody. Every time he casts out a devil. Every time he raises the dead. Every time he stills the storm. Every time that Christ forgives the unforgivable or cleanses the leper. Write it down. So I took a pad of paper and I started in Luke or Mark and I, I just wrote down one little line, one sentence every time. And I got through a few pages and I thought, how? How can you do that? Do you know I couldn't find one place where Jesus told somebody? The leper comes to Him and says, you know, I can't even touch you, but if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And the Lord says, I want you to go home and I want you to start being a vegan and I want you to... Um, you've got this other thing. You fix this and then come back and we'll talk about me healing you. That's how I was raised, believing. That's the, that's the mind that the devil put into, put into me. You do this and then God will fix you. If I could do anything without Him, I wouldn't need Him to fix me. Do you understand? And the servant of the Lord, she says the same thing. She says the same thing. What I have found now is, is that He desires to heal me. And once He reveals His love and His power in healing me, He can't stop me from eating the way He wants me to eat and dressing the way He wants me to dress and listening and doing the things that He wants me to do. 
Does that make a difference? So what the Lord did in every one of those places, He would go into a village and it says He would heal every sick person in the village. And I thought, how did all those people confess every known sin? And all of a sudden it became a works. And then the Lord revealed something to me. I was crying out to Him. I said, Father, how could you do this? I asked Jesus, how could you do this? He said, Eric, he said, I bore your sins in my own body on the tree. That you being dead to sin might live unto righteousness. I became you. And as another writer said, he became our substitute and our surety. That means our pledge. That means he'll finish the work that he started in us. So as I started doing what that that old gentleman, that old man of God told me, I started opening up and reading the promises out loud. And I started writing down every promise I could find about healing. About healing. Because I needed to be over the diabetes. I didn't need to start reading Daniel and Revelation to get over the diabetes. Daniel and Revelation are important. But not when I'm, I'm focusing on this meal. Do you understand? The Bible says in Psalm 100 and, I'm sorry, in Psalm 34, verse 7 and 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Taste, taste my words and see if I won't fulfill them. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, every promise of God is in Christ Jesus, both yea and amen. So I began writing down and typing every promise I could find on healing. And I just set my, my heart. And I said, I'm going to read these. And I started reading them out loud every day. Every day. Reading those promises. Speaking them out loud. And all of a sudden, I had to get a doctor's appointment with a new doctor. And went in there for my yearly checkup. And they do you know, your blood work to find out how your blood sugar's you know, been. Your hemoglobin A1C. And uh, she called me into the office after they got the results back. And she said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's wrong? And she said... Are you sure that they diagnosed you as juvenile, type 1? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, it's been that way since I was 14. She said, Eric, she said, we've never seen what your body is doing. Your body has started producing insulin again after more than 30 years of not producing insulin. Was it my diet? No. I eat, I eat very healthy, very healthy. I was eating 100% raw for almost five years. That didn't do anything. This was six years ago. This was six years ago before I started. She said, Eric, she said, your pancreas has started working again. And every time I go back, it's getting better. And I know that the miracle, God has already done the miracle. Because in Isaiah 53, it says, by His stripes, you were healed. Says it in Isaiah 53, says it in Matthew chapter 8, I think it's verse 17, and it says it again in 1 Peter chapter 2. The mouth of three witnesses. And it's not just spiritual healing, it's physical healing as well. I want to encourage you, as we're going through here, to take God's word literally, to press your case to the throne of grace. Press your case to the throne of grace. Do you remember there was a story? Jesus told a parable about a widow. And she went to an unjust king. And do you all remember what happened? The, the unjust king, you know, he's there in, in the throne room. He just got up and came out and sat down on the throne. And um, all of a sudden, one of the guards comes rushing in. He says, King, somebody's banging at the door again. He says, go see. Go see who it is. He comes back ten minutes later. He says, it's that same woman again. She's out there banging on the door again. What do you want me to do? Just ignore her. She'll go away. That woman kept coming day after day after day after month after year. She refused to be denied. And finally, that king said, let her in. I'm going to answer her request lest she weary me. I'm so tired. Let's just get it, let's get it over with. And Christ finishes that and He says, Shall not God avenge His own which cry unto Him day and night? Press your case to the throne of grace. Do not accept no. 
wrestle with God and with Christ like Jacob did. When God tells me to stop asking, I'll say, Amen, Lord. Yes, sir. If this is for your glory, Amen, Lord. I accept it. If it's not for your glory, Father, I'm going to keep wrestling. I refuse. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let thee go until you bless me. I'm going to tell you one more part. That's what my wife did when I was seeing another woman for almost five years. My wife would not date anybody. She kept telling our children, Daddy's going to come home. And she went to church, and the people at the church, after a year, and then two years, and then three years, they thought, this poor woman, this poor widow, I mean, her husband's as good as dead. Look at these poor children. What are you doing to the children by telling them? They're going to grow up not trusting God because you keep telling them God's going to bring your husband home. Do you know what my wife said? I know the judge said, divorced. But what my wife said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The church said, you ought to leave him. He's committed adultery. My wife said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. She kept claiming that promise over and over and over and over and over again. And one night, she was weeping. She was so tired. She had lost so much weight. I mean, she was, she was skin and bones. And she was outside and she got tired. She said, you know, she said, you know, God, I've been so passive. I've been playing a game with you. I'm just going to talk to you. I'm tired. I can't, I can't do this act anymore. And she said, she's looking up, up, up at the sky at nighttime. The children are in the house in bed and she's out there in the country looking up in the stars and she started yelling at God. How long do I have to do this? I need an answer. I will not let you go until you answer me. And she told God, after yelling for however long it was, she said, okay, I'm going to fast. I'm just going to do liquids until I hear from you, until I get an answer. A number of weeks later, she goes to the mall. Went to a strange mall she'd never been to before with the children. And she was sitting down in the mall, and normally you've got lanes, you know, they go two different directions. And she's sitting there in the mall, and she looks up, and there's this tall gentleman walking towards her, looking at her, looking in her eyes. Nice dressed. And he walked over to her and he said, Young woman, this morning I was on my knees talking to the Lord. And He told me to come to this mall and He told me I would find you here with your two children. And He told me to tell you, your prayers have been heard. Your husband is coming home. Do you understand? That man was not a member of my church, but he knew the Lord God. He knew the Lord God. He heard His voice and He obeyed. It was two years later when I came home. From that day, it was a little over two years. But the Lord knew that my wife was at the breaking point and she had to have help. And that man coming and speaking those words of faith in her heart and in her ears, that's what gave her the courage to hold on. As we go through the rest of this series, I'll unfold and share a little bit more of that story with you. But the reason that I'm tying this in with the martial arts is because the martial arts tells you Eastern mysticism, yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, Reiki, iridology, all of those Eastern mystical arts, they tell you one thing. God's Word tells you something else. Do you understand? Okay. Bow with me. Let's say a prayer. Father in heaven, Father, we thank you so much for your Son, for what you and what He have done for each of us. Father, I am nothing and I'm so weak. But Father, you are strong. Father, we ask that through the remaining sessions, through these next few nights, Father, that your name will be glorified, that your Son's name will be glorified, and that each of us will grow to trust You with all of our hearts. I pray for each person that is here tonight. I ask that You will send holy angels to guard and protect them on their way home. 
And I pray for the baptism and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you for this, for each person that is here. For this has already been given us in Christ. And we can claim this by faith. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.